0: Last week, we looked at how life is war, how there is a true enemy of your soul who desires to consume you and destroy you. John Piper, in 2002, preached a sermon and said these words, until you believe that life is war, that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness and no vigilance and no passion and no wartime mindset. He says, "If that is where you are this morning, your position is very precarious, is dangerous. The enemy has lulled you into sleep or into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake." And I love what he adds. He says, and God in his mercy has you here this morning and had this sermon appointed to wake you up and to put you on wartime footing. That's my prayer for you today, family, that each one of us would see that, you, that we are in a war. It is real. Whether or not we acknowledge its presence, you are in a war. Ed Welch says, there's something about war that sharpens our senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you're in attack mode. Someone coughs and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. It's that kind of vigilance that God is calling each one of us to today to have our senses heightened to the reality that there is an enemy who lurks after you to destroy you and that there is a God who is greater, who has conquered the enemy and who has called you to himself through faith in Jesus. And as we engage this war, we've got to be reminded that it is against our fleshly impulses that desire sin, the hostilities that exist within us against God, We've got to understand that the war is against Satan, who is fixated upon your destruction. Satan desires to twist the truth. He desires to make you forget who you are, to diminish your passion for Jesus, to lull you to sleep, to cause you to live passively, to eliminate the wartime mentality make you lose heart in trials, to cause you to shipwreck your faith and like a pirate to hijack your soul. Last week we saw how our enemy is real and apart from Jesus we have no chance against him and that is not to cause fear of our enemy but to draw us to God and place our fear in him who is able because he is greater and we saw that the posture of the spiritual fight according to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, is to stand. That's our spiritual posture, but the physical posture may be something altogether different. And we saw how we can stand on our knees through prayer in a spiritual fight. We saw how we can stand by digging in the Bible, unpacking God's truths. We saw how we could stand by running, fleeing from temptation. Because the spiritual posture of the Battle that we're in is to stand in it. And so today, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have believed that he died for your sins, and if you have turned from your sin and given your life to him and are living a new life, your posture is to stand, family. It is not your design to fall. Your design is to stand, And today, if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus, if you're still kind of exploring the Christian faith, thrilled that you're here to do that. Thrilled that you're here. And there's a a sobering truth, though, that tells us from the Bible that there can be no victory apart from Jesus. And today, if you're not sure where you're at, there's only stumbling in front of you. Because you, you can't fight in God's army if you're not one of his children. And so we pray you would come to put your faith in Jesus and come to see how he desires for you to be found in him because that's what God wants of us. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. We're told in chapter 3, verse 1, 4, 1, and 620 that he was in prison when he wrote it, that he was a man chained up. And oftentimes, he may have even been chained to a Roman soldier. That was oftentimes what was done for prisoners. And as Paul is sitting in his jail cell, I'm imagining him seeing these soldiers, knowing that the Roman army was the greatest army in the West at that time, that there was no army that could stand against them. And as he saw the soldier arrayed in his battle attire, I can imagine Paul thinking, why not us? Why not us for the greater spiritual war that we're in? And he tells the Ephesian readers here, and by application he tells us, that as we fight this spiritual battle, we've gotta be armed with the whole armor of God. God has provided armor. And the armor is this. We have a belt of truth because Satan attacks our stability. We have a breastplate of righteousness because Satan attacks our identity. We have shoes of the gospel because Satan attacks our passion. We have a shield of faith because Satan attacks our confidence. We have a helmet of salvation because Satan attacks our security. And then we're given a sword of the spirit to fight. To fight. Our our posture is not simply to assume defensive mode, but also attack mode. We are called to stand, but we're also called to fight. Because this means war, family when God takes someone out of the domain of darkness and transfers them into the kingdom of his beloved son, a war is unleashed between that person and Satan who desires to cause them to be destroyed, and we who are in this battle are called to stand armed and dangerous, showing no mercy against our sinful fleshly desires, showing no mercy against Satan's tactics. We are called to war for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel, for the sake of your family, and for the good of your soul, because we are in a battle. But in this battle, our weapons aren't of this world. They're spiritual. And today we find ourselves in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. If you have your Bible, please turn there. There are Bibles in front of you. We'd love for you to have that. We find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. And I'm going to read this armor that God has given us. Just the fact that it's called the armor of God is an amazing thing. God himself would give us armor for the fight and not just leave us exposed. He is a good God. Verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened down the belt of truth, To being clothed with such means that you have the whole armor of God and are ready to stand and fight. The first piece of armor is called the belt of truth. Now, this wasn't a belt like we wear over our clothing, but it was an undergarment kind of belt that held up their clothes. It allowed the soldier to be agile and be able to move about as he fought in battle. And it would hold his clothing together as he went into war. And Paul likens the belt to truth. He likens the belt to truth because truth stabilizes us. And if Satan can cause us to doubt God's truths, we lose our stability, our footing, from which our confidence lays. The truth of God basically is whatever God says about a circumstance. And whenever we are tempted... To believe otherwise, we are now tempted to believe lies. And so Paul says, we got to hold on to the belt of truth. The truth is, looking at the scriptures and who God is, what he's done, who am I, what do I do? These questions, as we see from the scriptures, is where the truth lays. And what the enemy would want us to do is to believe lies. The kind of lies that say, God isn't good to you. The kind of lies that says God is withholding good from you. He's he's holding out on you. The kind of lies, on the one hand, that make us very self-righteous, make me think I'm a good person. Or the kind of lies that are self-deprecating, saying I'm worthless. I have no value. And what Satan wants to do is take the truths of God and twist them. I mentioned last week and I'll say it again in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Satan came and he whispered lies to Eve. It says in Genesis chapter three, verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And a woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And we see Eve has already begun to be deceived as she adds, you shall not touch it, which God never said. But then then Satan says this, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It is true that their eyes would be opened. It is true that they would know good and evil. But it is not true to say that they would not die. And from the very beginning, Satan's agenda has been to take God's truth and twist it. And so when Paul says, as you are standing and fighting in this spiritual battle, hold on to truth. Don't let it get twisted. Know who you are through Jesus. Don't believe the lies. You see, the truth about who God is and what he's done comes from the Bible. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so the scriptures is often called the word of truth. And so if we are to know the truth and wear the belt of truth, we must be in the word of God. Also, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth in John 16. And he says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So what Paul is telling us is we wear the belt of truth. We are living lives that are obeying God's Holy Spirit as he works in us, as we're submitting to the truths of God's word. That's how we fight in the spiritual battle. That's how we have a sure ground and remain stable, not being twisted into truths. So the first piece of armor, Paul says, put on the belt of truth because Satan will attack your stability. Well, secondly, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It was a piece of armor that covered the body of the soldier, that protected him against punches and jabs. It was the kind of thing that watched over them, that they clothed themselves with. And he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I love that language because in chapter 4, verse 24, Paul says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I believe what Paul is saying here is this. When we put on the the breastplate of righteousness, we're putting on the new self has been created to follow Jesus because Satan attacks our identity see if you have surrendered your life to Jesus the old you is gone that thing died it is dead it was crucified with Christ it no longer lives Christ now lives in you the life that you live you live by faith in the son of God who died for you and gave himself for you that is your new self but in order for that to happen, Jesus had to become a curse on the cross. And so when our identity is being tested, our confidence in Jesus' death on the cross is being put into question. And Paul's saying, no, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf so that you can be, have the righteousness of God declared unto you. And so the breastplate of righteousness is a matter of your identity. Wear the belt of truth because it keeps you stable. Wear the breastplate of righteousness because that is the new self, the way you've been created. And thirdly, he says about the shoes. He says, verse 15, as as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love this image. See, the Roman shoes were used for long journeys, it's actually what helped the Roman Empire move about swiftly along with the Roman roads. And these shoes allowed them to, to march on for miles upon miles to journey and journey and then fight without their feet worn out. And as we think about how that likens to the Christian life, we understand that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are now embarking on a journey. It is a Christian walk, is was referred to. And Paul's saying, we've got to wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. And we've got to be ready, he says, to share it. See, in Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, when we enter into this spiritual battle as children of God, we've got to have the gospel of peace on our feet, being ready to share and proclaim it to other people. And when we do so, we are called to, that we're said to have beautiful feet without a pedicure, right? This is how God has designed us to be. And I started thinking, why, why are these shoes then part of the spiritual battle? Why, why is sharing my faith, being ready to share the gospel of peace, part of the war that I'm in. And I was thinking that Satan loves to quench your passion. He, he loves to make you feel that there is no urgency, to make you forget about hell. Last year we had a series where we talked about hell, and we said how common the word hell is in our language. It is cold as Outside. It's become second nature to almost diminish the significance of hell. And so part of Satan's tactics is to quench our passion and make us feel that there is no urgency. But there are few things that will reinvigorate your faith than sharing it with somebody who's without. There are few things that will make you more excited about Jesus than telling someone how awesome he is. And Paul said, you've got to be ready with that message as if it were shoes on your feet. And in the old days, the town herald, the person going off to war, when his army would have the victory, that one person's job was to run back to the town and tell people there was victory. And as one writer says, he says, the picture is painted of a lone messenger whose beautiful feet are drumming across the mountaintops with all the swiftness of a gazelle, bringing good news to Jerusalem. And as he comes within the earshot of the city, he shouts, peace, good tidings, salvation, your God reigns. There is victory. You don't have to be enslaved to this army. We won the battle. And what Paul is saying is we must enter into our world with the passion that says victory. Christ has defeated our enemy. Satan is done. He is finished. You are not a slave to your sin. But when our passion is gone, those beautiful words just don't sound beautiful. Satan begins to muzzle our witness. And we know that when we become afraid of how people are going to respond. We become ashamed of the gospel. We let our busyness cause us to be silent. We've lost focus. We fear other people. And there are people who now remain in the domain of darkness under Satan's rule and reign who are needing somebody with the readiness of the gospel of peace on their feet to skip along the mountaintops and say, that's not who you have to be. And for us who are in the faith, how often we need that reminder. And some of you today, you need that reminder. You've fallen and fallen and fallen, and the words stand feel impossible to you. The word fight feels impossible to you. And let these words be those feet skipping along the mountaintops telling you there is victory in Jesus. Your defeat is not what you were made for. You were made for victory because Jesus has conquered sin, death, Satan, became a curse on your behalf to give you a new life. I love how the pieces of armor are intertwined, right? Because that's speaking truth, isn't it? That's the new self, isn't it? That's the gospel of peace, the peace that reconciles God and man. When we think about proclaiming this gospel of peace, isn't it odd that we proclaim peace in the midst of war? Isn't it odd that Jesus had to kill hostility to bring about peace? Death had to come in order for peace to come. See, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that Jesus says, he himself is our peace who made us both Jews and Gentiles and has broken us down, broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he says in verse 16, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace through killing the hostility that existed between God and man. See, When God says that he gives us peace to proclaim, it is peace with God. And we proclaim this peace in the midst of the war. But as we proclaim the peace, there is victory. And oh, what joy it is when people cross from darkness into light, from death to life, from old to new, flesh to spirit. That's victory. And that's taking the good news. We've got a belt of truth. You've got a breastplate of righteousness. You've got shoes ready with the gospel of peace. And fourthly, you've got a shield of faith. The Roman shield was about two feet by four feet. It wasn't that circular shield, but it was a a larger one that protected much of the body. And you may have seen the Roman armies, when they get in formation, they can line up wall to wall and put the shields over them, and they were invincible. Because enemies would shoot arrows, fiery arrows, They were lit on fire to burn up and consume the armies. And what the Roman soldiers would do, they would take their shield, which was made of calf skin, interlaid with metal. They would dip it and soak it in water so that when fiery arrows hit their shield, it would be extinguished. And Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Now one writer argues that this is perhaps the most important piece of the armor of God. The shield of faith. And that's hard to argue with because so much hinges on our faith. We believe the truths of who God is because of faith. We believe that we have a new self and that, that comes through Jesus because of faith. We believe the gospel of peace because of faith. And what is faith? Well, Paul says in Hebrews, sorry, the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, He says, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Then he goes on, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And what the writer is saying is faith is to see, is to believe without seeing. And the shield of faith has this utter confidence that our God is in control. And in the spiritual fight, your faith is constantly put to the test. In every trial, in every hardship, with every remark, with every word that cuts you down, your faith is being put to the test. And oftentimes, it is the war that helps us see whether or not our faith is genuine or not. See, genuine faith is faith that is accompanied by what the Bible calls repentance. We can say we believe in Jesus... But if we haven't turned from our sin, then we're just giving assent to a proposition but not letting that truth transform our lives. And genuine faith brings about repentance. It puts us in the fight. It allows us to stand. Sometimes there can be an overconfidence about us. See, we believe wholeheartedly that through Jesus Christ we are secure for eternity. But sometimes there's this arrogance that can overcome us who are children of God. Where we think we're invincible. We think that nothing can stop us. And our faith begins to be more in ourself, in our abilities, in our spiritual disciplines. And not in the God in whom we trust. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. But then he goes on, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way of escape so you can endure. So genuine faith sees with eyes of victory, knowing that our faith is in Jesus, our confidence is in him, and we can endure temptation. Because Satan attacks our confidence. But the shield of faith says, God is our confidence. William Gouge, a pastor in the 1600s, he said, That Satan cannot extinguish the light of faith any more than any one of us can extinguish the sun. And one of the reasons is the sun is so far above and beyond us. We can't even get to it, let alone extinguish it. And he says, Jesus would have to be plucked out of heaven for your faith to be lost when it's in him. And I love that image. I love that image. He goes on to say, the only means to cool the scorching heat and alleviating this burning from the fiery arrows is the blood of Christ, and faith only is the means to apply the efficacy of Christ's blood to our souls. By faith, therefore, and by nothing else, may fiery darts be quenched. So when Paul says, in all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, he's saying, set your eyes on Jesus See, a few verses earlier, Paul mentioned how our battle is one of wrestling against flesh and blood. And we saw the face-to-face image of a wrestling fight, How, how the enemy wants to be intertwined in the details of your life. But here we see that there are also fiery darts, fiery arrows. And when you think of an arrow, you think of someone getting caught off guard, getting picked off from a distance. You think of things like, I never saw that coming. I didn't know that was there. It was unexpected. It was sudden. And so often that's how our spiritual attacks are. You don't just take up the shield of faith when you notice there's an arrow coming. You walk with the shield of faith. You walk with your eyes on Jesus. These fiery arrows would want to consume your soul. But greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. There is power in the blood of Jesus, family. And when our faith is set on him, we are taking up that shield And those arrows cannot penetrate. We've been given a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes with the gospel of peace, shield of faith. And fifthly, we've been given a helmet of salvation. Clearly, the helmet protects our heads, our minds, because Satan attacks our security. You see, when we become a child of God, we enter into God's family. He adopts us as sons and daughters. That can't be undone, family. And so you are secure in him. There is assurance of our salvation. The Holy Spirit now lives within us. He is the guarantee that we will go to heaven one day. And so Paul says, you've got to keep that on your mind, that the past tense, Jesus died for your sins and you were saved. Present tense. You are walking now in victory because you've been saved. Future tense, you will one day be delivered from this earth in finality. Salvation past, present, and future is a reality. Paul says, take on that helmet. Take on that helmet and be secure. Well, these five pieces of armor, we we see the soldier ready for battle, standing feet firm in the ground. But he has to, we have to remember that we don't just stand, but we must assume the attack position. And that's why, sixthly, Paul mentions the sword. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word sword is a, is a great image. Because so we think of a sword, we think of something that can pierce, something that can cut. And in Hebrews 4.12, um, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to penetrate our lives. And isn't that what the truth of God's word does? It gets into our lives and helps us see where we need the Lord. But it's also called the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that's inspired the words of God. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us to apply God's word in our lives. The word of God, in its most basic sense, is that good news that Jesus came to die for us. Now, these scriptures contain the words of God, the good news, the very words of God, and the message he's proclaimed to us. And what Paul is saying is, as we wage war, we've got to wield our sword. We must know the scriptures Because it's in the scriptures we learn the truths. It's in the scriptures we learn what the new self is like. It's in the scriptures we know the gospel. It's in the scriptures that our faith is rooted. It's in the scriptures that we find salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, how do we wield the sword? How do you fight when the lies are coming at you? How do you fight when the temptations are heavy on your life? Well, Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young man or woman keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We fight with the word of God as our sword as we memorize these verses in the midst of the battle. Storing up God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Paul says that though we walk in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 10, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. See, so much of the battle is for your mind, family. So much of the battle is to seep in lies and fears and insecurities. And what the word of God does, it renews our mind. So whether it be selfish ambition that is seeping in your mind, whether it be an addiction to pornography that is consuming your mind, whether it's the pride of man, whether it lies, whether it is being sexually promiscuous, whether it's fear, greed, idolatry, pride, you name it, whatever tactic the devil would use to cause you to fall, take up the sword. John Piper says, he says, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see so little war He says, murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? He shouts, make war. And that is our position, family, to stand but to fight. So whatever it is that Satan would bring in your life today, what is your posture? Are you bowing to the idols? See, we were made to live in victory. There is good news to be proclaimed among the mountaintops. but We must wield our sword. We must wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, when we gather on Sunday mornings, we're very intentional about what we're striving to see happen here. From the songs that we pick, to the words that are preached, to the scriptures that are read, Because we want us all to have our minds renewed by the truths of who God is. To make him the object of our worship. To dethrone every other God in our lives. I say, God, you are all that I need. That's why we have real community groups that gather every Wednesday and Thursday. So that we don't walk in isolation But we stand toe-to-toe, arm-to-arm, locked up with other brothers and sisters in the fight together. You will not win by yourself. But as you're armed with the armor of God and living in community, wielding the sword of the Spirit, there will be victory. There will be victory. There's a story of a man named Vincent Jukes in the 1600s who under intense persecution Renounced his faith. He was under so much duress that he finally said, I deny Jesus. And after some time, after conviction just settled in and his heart was in agony, knowing that through his mouth and through his actions, he denied the one who saved him. He came to his church and he said, this is what I've done. And my my conscience is, is in turmoil because I fell in the battle. And after a time of restoration, when the church came around him and encouraged and strengthened him, they had a special service to celebrate his coming back into good fellowship, his, his coming back to walk with Jesus. And in that message, William Goods, the pastor at the time, said this. He says, if therefore your conscience after this be overmuch troubled with doubtings and fears and despair, questioning your forgiveness over your apostasy, he says, Accounted a temptation of the Satan. Do not yield to it. Resist it and say to your soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He adds, because he is your God who has reconciled you to him. So if you are in this fight today, and you say, man, I believed all kinds of lies. I believed that I was a good person, but I know deep down inside I was was born in sin. Maybe believe the lie that you have no worth. Maybe like this warning, Satan wants to bring back your past and the choices you've made and the people you've hurt and wants to hold it over your head and say, that's who you are. Say to your soul through Jesus Christ. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God, the one who reconciled, who made you at peace with him. You are forgiven. When we repent of our sin, you are forgiven. So don't live in shame. And when you feel your armor is weakening, stand on your knees and just plead, Lord, my faith is shaky right now. Lord, Lord, That new self is hard to put on sometimes. Lord, I'm wavering from the truth. God, my passion is wavering. Get on those knees and and just, just cry out saying, God, help me put this armor on. And when you see your brother or your sister tripping and stumbling and falling, Heed the words that Jude says in Jude 22 and 23. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He says, you go and rescue your brother. You go rescue your sister. Yeah, hate what's going on. hate that that evil that is imbinding them. He pulled them out of the flames. Because we're a family. Sometimes people say, you know, the spiritual battle thing is real, but I only feel that when I'm walking with Jesus. When I'm not trying to follow Jesus, actually life's quite a bit easier. (laughs) To which one person says, I easily believe it. Why? Because the devil has you in his power. He needs not eagerly pursue you. Family, when we stand, we will be attacked. Which is why we must maintain a wartime mentality. Heightened senses. Everything saying, God, why is this happening right here, Lord? God, there was no accident that person said this. God, I woke up with this thing on my mind and it's beating me down. That's that's part of the fight, Lord. Lord. Heightened senses, aware of the spiritual predicaments around you. I wonder oftentimes, what if we could see the spiritual realm right now? What will we see of Satan's tactics? What will we see of the armor of God? Of our great King enthroned in the heavens? Jesus Christ, who cannot be plucked from the heavens. We have the belt of truth so we could be stable. You have the breastplate of righteousness because that's your identity. You have shoes of the gospel because God wants to keep that passion going. You have the shield of faith because your confidence is in Jesus. You have the helmet of salvation and you can be assured that God who said will finish what he, what he started. You have the sword of his spirit to fight. So let's stand, armed and dangerous, family. Showing no mercy to our sinful impulses. Showing no mercy to to Satan's tactics. For the glory of God. For the advancement of the gospel. For the good of your family. And for the caring of your own soul. I want to close with these words. In 1939, this classic hymn was written. As I was preparing this message, it just kept ringing in my mind. It says, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Father God, I thank you that there is victory in Jesus. when you tell us to stand, that's not an empty command. That, God, you have empowered that which you've commanded. And you've given us the whole armor of God. Not partial, God. You've not withheld anything good from your children. Because you want victory for us. You purchased victory for us. So may we stand and fight, armed and dangerous, for the glory of God. Father there are any today who are beaten and battered by this battle. I pray for deliverance, Lord. Perhaps they're your child God and are just consumed by their addictions, consumed by their failures, consumed by what other people think of them. Lord, I pray that their identity would be firmly planted in Jesus. And for those who don't know you today, God, I pray that they would know the rescue that there is in Jesus. They would know the glory of what it is to be forgiven. That they would know the kingdom of your beloved son, the, a citizenship that is in heaven, a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade, that is kept in heaven by you, O oh God. If we pray for that. God, revive our hearts. Renew our minds and keep us in the fight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, let's stand together. Um, I do. I do want our prayer leaders. Would you guys come forward and you know? so grateful to be able to approach the end of our series talking about this and I I hope that you guys look look around the room even briefly just go ahead look around the room these are your brothers and sisters I pray that you guys would love one another that you would with each other stand together that you would just weep over the thought of one of you falling that your stomach would ache over that thought, but that your heart would leap for joy at the thought of victory, that you would celebrate within at the thought of one who was far being brought near. And so let us, family, let us be together in this fight, celebrating that there's victory in our great God. There's no one like him. Can you say that? Say, no one like him. No one like him. Because it's him who brought the victory, and it's him who is worthy to be praised. So if God is stirring in your heart in any way, any way, please don't let yourself miss out on the opportunity to be prayed with. Don't, don't let the, the Satan cause you to not stand on your knees at this moment. So as we sing this song, Pray with somebody. However God is moving, pray with somebody and let us stand for the glory of God. Let's lift our voices to him who is worthy.